Welcome on in. It is a Wednesday edition, an acoustic Wednesday edition of the EP podcast. I'm Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in. Really, truly, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, really do appreciate your ears and attention and feedback. You can find us on Twitter at Austin Horton. Find us on Facebook, the EP podcast. Find us on 1280thezone.com. You can uh, more specifically 1280thezone.com slash EP dash podcast. Find us on Spotify, iHeart, iTunes, Google Podcasts, everywhere. Spot- Did I say Spotify? Everywhere you find your podcasts, Stitcher, That's you're, you're going to find us there. So thanks for tuning in. Now there is, I have been told there's another EP podcast out there. It's about like Evergreen Park in, I think, Washington State. So if, if you find that one, just add my name, EP Podcast Austin Horton. To get this one, and I don't know why I'm telling you, you've already obviously found it because here you are listening. So that was ridiculous of me. We've got some jazz news of galore to talk about today. Some sound from Coach Quinn Snyder, some funny moments uh, or funny reaction from both Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert to the NBA's anonymous uh, hotline tip line. People are calling it the snitch line. Uh, we got to talk about this ESPN article about Donovan Mitchell as well, and so many more things to get to, including an Acoustic Wednesday selection later in the episode. But right now, we start each and every day the very same way. This day in sports history, and being July 15th, there was a lot of golf that took place on July 15th, including 1961 when Arnold Palmer won the British Open at the Royal Birkdale Golf Club in Southport, England. It was the first of two consecutive Open victories for Palmer. In 1972, Lee Trevino won the British Open by one stroke over Jack Nicklaus at Muirfield Golf Links in Gulane, Scotland. It was Trevino's second straight British Open win. 1984, the Philadelphia Stars kept the ball for more than 43 minutes and held the Arizona Wranglers to just 119 yards on their way to winning the USFL championship game 23-3 at Tampa Stadium. That sounds like a horrifically boring game. And in 1999, because the collective bargaining agreement did not allow them to strike, 57 major league umpires formally resigned to force a new labor agreement. Seems like a, a, the only option they had. Well, it backfired because Major League Baseball accepted the resignations of 22 of those 57 and hired new umpires in their place. There you go. This day in sports history on a Wednesday, sub, or uh, September, July 14th, 15th. My heavens. There we go. <laughs> uh, this day in sports history for July 15th here on an Acoustic Wednesday edition of the EP podcast. Now let's get to some smarter people talking. Wanted to play a couple sound bites from Coach Quinn Snyder's media availability in Orlando yesterday. The Utah Jazz are going to be off today from practice, so there won't be any availability. Uh, but you'll be able to hear more on Thursday after they, they have some practices or a practice and then some more availability. But uh, yesterday, Coach Quinn Snyder was asked about uh, whether or not because, hey, look, here in Orlando, or not here in Orlando, but there in Orlando, they are in uh, close quarters, so to speak. I mean, it's a bubble city type thing. They're not all in one room or anything. They have their own rooms, but it's more like a campus 
life feel, like a summer camp thing, like uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell said it reminded him of AAU. Others have said it looks like NBA sleepaway camp where you've got all kinds of activities, arts and crafts you can go do and things of the like. Uh, and, and so it's, it's different than the usual NBA season. Well, Quinn Snyder knows a thing or two about uh, you know, abnormal circumstances, having coached in both the G League and the European tours for so many years. And he was asked if the, those experiences of not having traditional offices and, and traditional film rooms and, and uh, luxurious five-star accommodations like you do in the NBA trails, if those experiences have helped him prepare for a, a circumstance like he and his team are experiencing thus far in the Orlando scenario. So my traditional office when I was with the Austin Toros was the coffee shop um, around the corner. And Dell Demps and I met there and we had some great meetings and developed a great relationship. So um, as you said, I don't think it's about the location as much as it is you know, the substance. And th there's things you can't control and you know, that, that's, I think, accepting that and understanding that, you know, allows you to focus on the things you can control. So to the extent there was some different experiences that I had, um, I think it was more about the basketball um, than where we played. Um, but certainly we played in plenty of gyms that, you know, had 50 to 100 people when we were in, in the D League. So um, you're still playing basketball. And uh, so if there aren't fans... Um, I, I think players are going to compete regardless. It certainly will feel a little different um, with respect to home court and things like that. But in the end, it's still basketball. And, you know, I think guys will be thinking about that more than the venue or the atmosphere. All right. Next question. Chris Mannix, uh, Sports Illustrated. Quinn's always so gracious and humble. The, the, the reality is, yes, those experiences do give him uh, a leg up. Uh, when it comes to a scenario like a bubble thing like they are in, in Orlando, when you compare it to another coach who hasn't coached in the G League having meetings in a coffee shop or, or, or hasn't coached in Europe where you're playing games in front of 10 people. Uh, actually, I think Quinn Snyder said that that was in the G League. But still, it, it, it gives him an opportunity or rather an experience that other coaches have not or may not have had is it going to ultimately mean that the Jazz then have a leg up in a game-to-game -game situation? I don't know about that. But I think that preparing uh, in, in different weird case scenarios helps you uh, adjust when those weird case scenarios become real life. It's why the Navy SEALs and other military arms train in weird different circumstances in, in deluge downpour rain in ice cold arctic snow in uh, near drowning uh, exercises that they go through uh, the, the, the all these crazy things you hear about the, them having to do in their boot camps and in their weekend trainings or whatever in their day-to-day -day trainings i should say weekend would be for the guard uh they do these things so that then when the real life experience comes at you and you're maybe not even necessarily in Arctic freezing snow, but you're in the, the hot desert heat of the Middle East and you've got literal bullets flying around you, you're able to calm yourself and make decisions rather than the adrenaline taking over and deciding things for you. Now, those are two extreme examples. Actual war in, in the Middle East or wherever 
versus an NBA game, come on, I'm not saying that they're anywhere near the same. But the idea of practicing weird scenarios so that you have experience in adjusting when the real life thing comes along, that's the that's that's the same. The, the philosophy, I think, is the same. So Quinn Snyder is not foreign to weird sports syndrome, as I'm calling it, this idea of a three, four month hiatus and then on to a little campus life in Orlando. It's an adjustment, but I think that he and therefore his staff have a leg up in adjusting against other staffs. Will it lead to more wins? I don't know about that, but it will at least give the staff and Quinn Snyder an opportunity to not have adrenaline or weird things impacting them as they make those decisions. All right, next soundbite from Coach Snyder. Uh, he was asked about, first First of all, he started the the availability with some really nice and kind words for Martin Schiller and Bart Taylor, but Martin Schiller, who was the NBA's G League coach for the Salt Lake City Stars for the last three seasons, and he's accepted the head coaching job for a team in Lithuania. And uh, Quinn uh, waxed poetic, uh, and rightfully so, on the preparations and coaching that Martin Schiller and his staff have been able to do with the Stars and how that has directly impacted the Utah Jazz and their ability to win and lo- or lose. Because as G League players come up to the Jazz or practice with the Jazz and then play with the G League, they're able to adjust better on the fly. And Snyder was then asked about guys like uh, Jarrell Brantley and Mie Oni and Juwan Howard and, and uh, others who are, are uh, now with the team and making an impact and what impact they are making in practices, if not later games, here in the Orlando situation. Um, it's a lot of guys to try to absorb those things and, um, you know, one of the biggest things they've done, you know, they've defended and, you know, particularly in a practice situation like this, having um, a group of guys come in and, and really guard, um, it challenges, you know, some of the guys that are rotational guys to, to make plays and, and to be really good and have to make reads um, because the defense is good. So that's been a big help. And as you said, you know, there's, there's a learning curve, you know, learning the communication system. You know, they certainly did some of the things that, that we did, um, and they were with us periodically this year. Um, but what they've done in these last, you know, few days um, has been really important. And it's not surprising to me that, you know, that our players, you know, have, have recognized that. A lot of nice things he said there, but the number one key thing that stood out to me is he's noticing how these guys are defending and it's funny, every time we have a, a rookie after the NBA draft night that joins the big show or anyone the shows, the coverage on the zone, Gordon Monson gets a kick out of telling those guys, you've got to defend for Quinn Snyder. If you want to get the attention of the head coach, if you want to be on his good side, defend. And uh, the, sounds like those guys have taken the advice and the coaching that they've received in this organization to, uh, to heart and even though they may not, uh, or or may, whether they are or aren't grasping the offensive sets and where they're supposed to be, they are. It sounds like, according to Quinn, and his is a, his opinion is really the ultimate one that matters here. They seem to be uh, taking to the idea of defending in a way and fashion that the Jazz can count on them and trust them on that end of the floor. We'll see when it comes to game time situations offensively, but a guy like Jarrell Brantley is a beast of a body 
and he does have some athleticism. Well, not some. He has incredible athleticism on the offensive end. But if he can be a defender that, that the Jazz can trust and put in scenarios, game changer. And that's why a lot of people think he might turn out to be the next best second-round pick of the Utah Jazz history uh, after uh, Paul Millsap is because they, th- they see his body, they see his work, and they see if he can improve a little bit on the defensive end. He's already close, and he could be a real piece for the Utah Jazz. As far as in the Orlando situation, those guys, uh, of course, the Boyan Bogdanovich injury and absence from the bubble uh, provides opportunity for everybody to slide in different places and get minutes otherwise they wouldn't. Uh, where otherwise they wouldn't, I should say. I don't know how many minutes that means for a G League player like Jarrell Brantley, uh, Mie Oni, Jarrell, or uh, uh, Jawan Howard and the like. But it does mean that that opportunity could pop up. So we'll see what goes down with the G League players on the Jazz roster. Okay, there's always there's already been a, a big deal made of this ridiculous idea that the NBA create, came up with in Orlando, and that being the anonymous tip hotline. If and I'm sure you're aware what's what this is is they're inside the bubble. They have rules, and any time a player is observed breaking the rules, or not even necessarily just a player, a staff member, anybody, there is this anonymous hotline that you can call and report and tattle and tell on said player or staff member for breaking the rules. I'll be I'll be real honest. I did not expect there to be serious calls already placed. Uh, I thought there would be a lot of pranking and goofing around and, and, and things like that. But I didn't think there would be legitimate pl- calls placed and legitimate punishments handed out. But there have already been several, according to Sham Sharania, tips coming in on that hotline that have led to uh, quote-unquote suspensions for players who exited the bubble when they weren't supposed to or things like that. You saw it with Rashawn Holmes of the Kings. You saw it with the player whose name I can't pronounce for the Rockets, and they will be barred from the, the – they'll be in quarantine now for several days, I think 10 days in one of their cases. So uh, – and I just I – fang- I find it so – amazing that people are willing to call a hotline and report somebody in that fashion then again we're not talking about just everyday normal day-to-day thing this is a worldwide viral pandemic that we're facing that they're trying to combat and keep out of the bubble situation there and so maybe that makes some sense why some would call and report i don't know but the this idea uh, and I brought it up on the big show yesterday how do you keep yourself anonymous on that hotline like the, these guys do media availability every at least every other day all season long in their careers a lot of their voices are very recognizable at this point when they dial up that hotline <laughs> aren't they going to be found out that it's them that, that that when LeBron James calls a hotline, I can tell you it's LeBron James. Uh, when Chris Paul calls in on a hotline, it's pretty obvious that that's Chris Paul. Uh, if it, if if Joe Ingles of all people calls the hotline, there's no one else it could possibly be. Joe Ingles has a very distinct voice, not to mention a very distinct accent that goes along with that voice. So it's just it's funny to me. 
that this is an anonymous hotline. I don't know if they have like some kind of voice blocker or voice scrambler, and we had some fun with that on the big show where you sound like Jigsaw from the Saw movies. You want to play a game? You know, that kind of thing. It doesn't, I don't know. But uh, Eric uh, Woodyard of ESPN asked both Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley about the snitch line, as it's being called, and here was their uh, uh, comments on that. What you understand the, the, the seriousness of, of the coronavirus, you know, going through it and everything. Um, what do you think about this anonymous line that, you know, you guys have access to? Is that something that you would ever utilize? I, you know, I heard some guys have utilized it. What's your thoughts on having that anonymous line, man? Because I'm sure y'all probably get a kick out of it. What's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, I mean, I think it's – I don't know if someone's going to use it, but uh, I think it's a little petty. You know, I think it's uh, – at the same time, you want to make sure that, you know, people respect the rules. Um, but I don't think the line will really help. Uh, at that point, you know, I think it's it's more about respecting each other, and uh, and uh, I'll do it as a small community. You know, we I think we everyone is pretty much educated about the the virus at this point, and uh, you know, it's it's more about respect, more about respect, and uh, at the same time, you know, you you want to make sure you you socialize and and, and do all those things, but by still. Respecting each other's space and and uh, and try to wear the mask inside, especially when it's crowded. I did. I just asked Rudy this, man. You know, you guys got this anonymous line that you can call in. You understand this, the significance of playing with teammates who tested positive. Would this be ever something that you would ever use, or what's your thoughts on this anonymous line that the NBA NBA is offering you guys to report violations? Um, you know, honestly, I haven't even really thought about it until you just asked the question. So it tells you how much I. I'm probably paying attention to it. I'm, you know, at this point, I think we all uh, have been through enough meetings, uh, each team individually, about coronavirus and understanding the importance of, you know, practicing social distancing and wearing a mask and all those things. So, um, at this point, we got to trust. We got to trust each other, man. We got to trust the other teams, other players. Um, we know our guys are gonna do the right thing, and um, you know, just kind of just 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 trust in the process yeah look unless it's absolutely peril putting people in peril uh, or or in the line of uh, sickness or death there's no need to be calling that anonymous hotline just as rudy gobert said it's kind of petty just talk to the guy that you think is doing things wrong and say hey you're you're doing something that makes me uncomfortable can we talk about this can we change that what can i do to help you help me be more comfortable and that sort of thing but to have an anonymous snitch line is crazy in the first place and then to have actual legitimate calls that have led to legitimate punishments already week one is even crazier in my opinion but there you go the the wildness has begun of this social uh, biosphere experiment that is there in the Orlando bubble. And the 30 for 30 that will come out from this is going to be must-watch, never-forget television. All right, let's take a, a music break here and do a little Acoustic Wednesday selection for you. One of my favorite singers of all time, Chris Cornell. May he rest in peace. Uh, he had just stopped writing music for a previous record label when the lead singer of uh, uh, Audio Slave left the band 
to go become, I believe, the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine or or was also with Rage Against the Machine. I, I'm foggy, foggy on those details. But Audio Slave was on the brink of breaking up and didn't have a lead singer. And their uh, producer, Rick Rubin, said, why don't you call up Chris Cornell? Of course, he'd, he'd done Soundgarden and, and other projects. And so they called him up and said, hey, why don't you come jam with us and see what you think? And after a couple of minutes, uh, just a, a couple of songs that they jammed together, they decided, all right, we are going to be a band. We're going to do this. And uh, they wrote an album, their first album. It, it really came together really quickly. Uh, and uh, it, it, well, not, not, not quickly in a lot of people's minds, but quickly in terms of the music world. Uh, in fact, let's see, how long did it, I was just reading uh, it was uh, look took less than a year. So actually, it took quite a while. I thought it was less than a month. It took less than, just less than a year to write that first album. But on that first album, uh, it, there was a song that became Grammy-nominated for Best Rock Performance, uh, and it was called Like a Stone. And the, the reason I like to do Acoustic Wednesday is I think acoustic music gives you a chance to strip back the the modernization of music which is great and which is fun but it gets lets you hear it a little bit more in a raw sense and you get to focus more on the emotion of the song the singing the playing of the strings the hitting of the notes and you get a little more feeling and emotion from these songs and like a stone is a masterpiece no matter in what way you hear it or listen to it acoustic or otherwise uh, original recording live it doesn't matter like a stone is a beautiful piece in music of music i should say and belongs in the uh the hall of fame just for that song alone but it is a beautiful tell a story that a lot of people sometimes misinterpret some people thought that chris cornell and, and team wrote it to pay honor to someone who had died from alice in chains but that just wasn't the case they wrote it before that person died the idea, essentially, it's not hard to find, but it is about uh, finding God, not so much finding religion. But Chris Cornell, I think, put it really well when he said, uh, the idea of the song is about concentrating on the afterlife you would hope for rather than the normal monotheistic approach. As, as in you, you work really hard all your life to be a good person and a moral persona and fair and generous and then you go to hell anyway if you don't believe the right thing. That's what this song is saying is you, you, you should be able to find paradise and find heaven regardless of what specific religion you align yourself with, which I think is just beautiful. And I, I totally believe that uh, while I believe in my religion and stand by it and think that it is the most correct religion in the world, uh, I don't have any uh, fantasy that... You have to be part of my religion, or you're not going to heaven. That that does not that does not jive with me, and that's why I love this song so much. As he, as Cornell later said in a live concert, "Your heaven is what you make it," meaning that heaven is in the eye of the beholder. So as you listen to this song, uh, I, I think it's important to think of those in our lives, our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, our family, our our, our close people that we know and love who have gone on or about to go on to the next life. And, and I think that it's important to remember it's okay. When this journey comes to an end, hopefully it was a beautiful journey. And beautiful does not mean perfect. It means that all the scars that you obtain in this life become beautiful uh, based on what you make them into. And if you go through heartache, as we all do, 
do you take that heartache and grow and, and toughen up and become a beautiful soul or do you give in and give up this song is about work hard all your life be a good person and then enjoy your paradise that comes hereafter but here is acoustic wednesdays uh chris cornell may he rest peacefully his uh, acoustic version of like a stone this song is called like a stone i'm chris cornell it goes like this
Final stop here on Wednesday. Kirk Goldsberry, ESPN staff writer, put out the uh, eight players with big questions for the NBA's restart, the X-Factors. And he listed eight players who will be the absolute X-Factors for their team. Well, the eighth and final uh, spot that he gave out went to none other than Donovan Mitchell with the headline, Is He Ready to Dominate Games? I wanted to read you what Kirk wrote about Donovan. He said, The Jazz are going to need Mitchell to play the best basketball of his career. Mitchell is 23 and one of the league's best young scorers, but he is, is he ready to lead a team deep into the Western Conference playoffs? Without the injured Boyan Bogdanovich, Utah's second-leading scorer this season, Mitchell will have to find ways to increase his scoring in the face of increased defensive attention. It's a tall task. Mitchell is one of the few young scorers who thrives in the mid-range. His elbow jumpers and his floaters are reliable, and both will be key in playoff matchups. If the Jazz are going to be successful, they need Mitchell to be more aggressive. If there's a weakness in his scoring portfolio, it's drawing fouls. He is a great free-throw shooter at 86%, but he doesn't get to the line as much as some of the league's other top-scoring guards. Among the 36 players averaging at least 20 points per game, Mitchell's 6.5 free-throw attempts per 100 possessions ranks 28th out of those 36. One way for Mitchell to increase his productivity this postseason would be to embrace the dark arts of whistle hunting, like some of the other bearded guards in the West. Uh, Kurt Goldsberry... Uh, absolutely hits on something that I think is critical to Donovan's already stellar career becoming borderline Hall of Fame and pushing him into championship caliber player. And that is going from 23, 24 points a game to 28 points a game, which I know there's not a lot of players in the league that do that, but I absolutely believe that Donovan Mitchell can find his way to the free throw line for two to four more free throws a game and make, you know, between two and four more free throws per game. There's no, there's no, it makes no sense to say if a guy goes to the free throw line four more times and he's an 86% free throw shooter that he won't make uh, two and a half, three out of four on average. Uh, that's, that's just, and most likely four most of the time. So, and that, that makes a big difference. A lot of people might hear four points. That's going to make that big of a difference. It absolutely matters. It, it takes you from contender to defender it takes you from you're you're hopeful to be an nba champion to you're now defending your nba championship uh to when you when you make those seemingly small but chasm chasm sized different uh, changes and improvements in your game will he be able to do that in this little snapshot in orlando i don't know I, I anybody that tells you that they know for sure what is going to happen with any team in Orlando is lying to themselves because there's so many weird weird things about this this restart. You don't really know who or what is going to do when, where, and what. So we will see. My hope for the Utah Jazz is that they find a way to get into the second round of the playoffs. But if they don't. And for this is the same for any team in that bubble. You kind of throw your hands in the air and you go, whew, let's chalk that up to an anomaly and let them prove to us next season that it was an anomaly, that it was just a, a blip on the radar in a weird situation uh, there in Orlando. But as far as Donovan Mitchell being the X factor for the Utah Jazz, I, th- I see where Kurt Goldsberry is coming from on that. I would go more along the lines of Mike Conley, but 
I see what he's going with uh, with Donovan Mitchell there. That's going to do it for an EP uh, podcast here on Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. My thanks to you for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I'll be back on a Wear Red Friday and hopefully get some nominations from you for talking about some of our great soldiers who are deployed. You can send those nominations to me at Austin Horton on Twitter, or better yet, email me, austin.horton at 1280thezone.com. We'll see you on a Friday. Until then, be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. (laughs) I'm a New Yorker, by the way. I'm a New Yorker, but I'm not from the New York that you think of when you think of New York. I'm not from New York City. I'm from a small town in western New York State. I call it New York country. (laughs) Out where I'm from, there's two kinds of guys. Guys who go hunting and guys who go hunting. (laughs) Now, do you know the difference between hunting and hunting? Hunting is for the good of the animals. You got to kill some deer in the fall to have enough food for the others to eat in the winter. That's hunting. Hunting? That's a little different. Hunting involves liquor and flashlights. You're put on Tulane County Road and you see a sign with a bunch of bullet holes. That's hunting right there. Stop this truck. I'm going to shoot something. No, you yield. You tell people you're from New York and they assume it's New York City. I was working recently in Iowa. I'm working in Iowa. I meet this guy. He goes, where are you from? I'm from New York. He goes, oh, New York. I know all about you big city New Yorkers. Ross, have you ever been up in the Empire State Building? That's presumptuous. I mean, I'm in Iowa. I don't assume this is your tractor. And then I thought it was funny. Uh, he asked me what presumptuous meant. That's kind of funny. <laughs> presumptuous is one of those words. I could not define it, but I can give you an example of it. I'm in a public restroom with an automatic deodorizer. Every couple of minutes, you hear that little spray, that little... <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> I walk in. I've been there for less than five seconds. That's presumptuous. <laughs> yeah, my hometown is about 250 miles west of New York City. My hometown is Hornell, New York. Hornell, H-O-R-N-E-L-L. Hornell is a small town just on the outskirts of a Walmart. <laughs> Which means I'm a real American, because real Americans live close to Walmarts. And if it's a 24-hour Walmart, that's as good as our life will ever get. Because we're Americans, and sometimes we wake up and we need stuff. You just just sit up in bed. Oh, boy. I'm going to need a garden hose. I can't wait. I said I can't wait, woman. Dang, girl, don't hold me back. Anyone like me, sometimes I shop at one of these stores. I don't know what I need until I'm in the store. Because I don't shop like my parents. My parents were very frugal people. Uh, When they went shopping, they always had a list, and they would only buy what was on the list. When I go shopping, I don't have a list. I have an hour. 
just grab a cart. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Next thing I'm in the checkout line, I look in my cart. It's like coming to out of an alcoholic blackout. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I was gonna stuff it on need. I got like a nursing bra. I've got a nursing bra. <laughs> I got a nursing bra and a canoe. Hey. <laughs> and this is when I'll often abandon my shopping cart. And don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. They're all over the store. Dozens, dozens of half-full carts. They should have little plaques. This is where a shopper came to his senses. I don't, by the way, I don't actually live, I don't actually live in town. I live outside of town. I got a couple hundred acres of woodland upon which I built a log cabin from a kit. <laughs> did, you, did you know that's how you build a log cabin? The days of chopping down your own trees and holding them together with beaver dung are over. <laughs> if you want a log cabin, where would you go? Where would you go? Where would you go? Where would you go? No, you don't go to Walmart. <laughs> went to Costco, that's where I went. <laughs> oh. There's a store, big, big. You walk through the front door, can't see the far wall because it curves over the horizon. <laughs> I was in a Costco, I'll tell you how big it was. You ever seen an airplane hangar? Giant buildings where they construct enormous airplanes. You can buy those on aisle seven. <laughs> Actually, I, uh, I got my house on the internet. You know, that's, that's where you get everything. I went to logcabin.com, looked at all the models. I, I got the uh, James Garfield. It was a two-bedroom, one bath, had a mudroom. Uh, put my house on a credit card. They delivered my house unassembled <laughs> in a giant cardboard box. <laughs> Took a week to get the parts to my house out of the box. I was so tired, I started living in the box. <laughs> but I painted it because I'm not white trash. I was, raised, I was raised better than to live in an unpainted box. Hey, did you know that Dry Bar Comedy has their own app? Download it right now to watch, save, and share clips and watch my whole special.